Got to give a mad shout-out to my guy, Devon Booker, with the line for line comic book Fridays. Long-time listener, best podcast out there. Keep it up, my friend. Look, the biggest podcast where you can learn them lessons. Line for line where you can learn from different sections. Made it out the mud, come tell your story, blessings. Never know who listening, never know who stressing. Devon gave you a voice, come speak your honest truth. Line for line, go ball for ball, it's up to you. Wanna talk sports, gov, and politics? Wanna talk about where you from and your accomplishments? Then line for line is really where you need to be. A platform that's really made for folks like you and me. You can find it all no matter what you seek. Whether you calling or you listening, tune in every week. All right. Just like that, we're back in another very special episode of Line for Line podcast. We have a very special guest in the building today. We will let her introduce herself to the world. Um, I'm Mackenzie Lee, and I've written several uh, books for Marvel, uh, like prose novels, which is sort of a weird thing because um, it's neither a movie nor a comic book. Uh, the latest one called The Winter Soldier Cold Front. And she's one of New York Times best-selling authors, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not had a chance to hear about this book or see this book, I highly recommend you go out and get it. I had the chance to get it a couple of days ago, read the book front to back, and I was in love with it as well, too. I would like to first off by saying thank you, Mackenzie, for creating such an amazing book here. Seriously. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. Of course. (laughs) Now, a lot of people from my channel, they know a little bit about The Winter Soldier because I've covered them in the past before. But going into this project, was did you know anything about the character or anything about his arc? Yes. I So as a kid, I like desperately wanted to be a comic book reader and just couldn't figure out how to be. I couldn't find the access point. I would go into comic book stores and it would be like a lot of middle-aged men glowering at me who didn't really want to help me. <laughs> um, kind of know who like, I knew who Spider-Man was. I knew who like Superman was. Uh, and then I would go pick up the comic books in the in the store and they would be like volume whatever issue whatever and start in the middle of a story I'm like I don't know how to read this I don't know what's happening I don't know what <laughs> like I was just confused and I didn't know how to be a comic book reader and then as an adult when the Marvel movies started coming out much like like I suddenly had this like access point that I had not had before to get into these, to get into these stories and to know who these characters were and then there was also kind of like for lots of lots of uh, the characters there was kind of like a factory reset almost after the, the movies came out is then it's like, okay, so you saw the Iron Man movie. Here's where you start with the Iron Man comics. Like, and there was just more comic literacy out there. Um, and so I was able to get more into comic books. And the first ones I really got into were the Ed Brubaker run of Winter Soldier. Um, and I really, really loved Winter Soldier. Like my, my favorite, my, I mean, he's, he's great in the movies. He is so awesome. Those Ed Brubaker comics are so good. But <laughs> Sasha is like my favorite Marvel ship ever otp whatever i was so like i was so into the ed brubaker comics long before mm-hmm. I did the job so not only was i very familiar with the bucky barnes winter soldier arc in the comics i was invested before i was professionally uh, required to be invested in it no way yeah so it was i mean i've the third book i've done for marvel the other ones were loki and uh gamora and nebula which were sisters in arms sisters in arms incredible well, I love those books. I'm so happy to get to do those. But Winter Soldier for me was like dream come true. So cool. Just yes, ma'am. Hat on a hat. Of course. Now, Winter Soldier, what was the most compelling part and arc to the character that drew you in and made it easy for you to write a whole book dedicated to him and his character? I mean, I think it's sort of the inherent tragedy of 
of the Winter Soldier character and the idea of, I think, one of the most terrifying things in the world for me is the idea of having your identity taken away from you and these sort of like these things we know we know about ourselves for sure and we are the only people who know and we're so we never question them we're so certain of who we are the fact that people can take those away from us and then it's like what do you have left what do you who are you when everything you know about yourself has been taken from you what can be reclaimed what is sort of intrinsic to who you are um and i just think those questions of identity and memory and the way we we create our own narratives around ourselves, but also the things about us that are inalienable mm -hmm. is, is just fascinating. Um, and you see that all of those questions sort of crystallized in in The Winter Soldier. And and then in Bucky Barnes, I mean, you, you get to see a character who is so enamored with these ideas of patriotism and good and evil and black and white. And he's fighting this righteous war and he wants to be a part of it. And then has to sort of very quickly come to terms with the fact that even in the most righteous of wars, even if you are... 100% sure you are on the side of the good guys. There's always going to be collateral damage. There are always going to be sacrifices you have to make. And how do you sort of reconcile the idea of being a good guy when you're still doing tremendous damage to, to people who are unconsenting parts of this? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Now, with you obviously knowing a, a bit about the character, how easy for for you, excuse me, was it to write this book knowing so much about the character and his backstory? I mean, it really kind of felt like I was getting paid to write fan fiction in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, what I, like, what would I want to see my favorite character in my favorite universe doing? And that's what the ended up being. So it was fun because I got to sort of take a character I love so much and then sort of mix it, mix him in with so many, so many influences. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, I was drawing a lot on like John le Carre and the spy who came in from the cold and George Miley and those kind of books and sort of getting to throw the Winter Soldier into that and also a little bit of like James Bond and um, a little bit of like Queen's Gambit and mm -hmm. my favorite book in the world is this is a World War II novel called Codenicity um, and so I got to like revisit that and be like okay how can I take some things I like about this and sort of mix them in with Winter Soldier so it really was I mean it was it was fantastic it was so cool it was great to sort of take all of my favorite things and mix them with another one of my favorite things and then I, I worry there's no audience for the book just because I'm like this is just a concoction of all my favorite things oh my who gosh. else could love there's are always fans all around property. the world. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Now, without spoiling the book for the readers who have not had a chance to read this book, I noticed you mentioned Queen's Gamut. That definitely helped you write this as well, too. How much of that would you say went into this book? And not to ruin the book, but obviously with me reading the book, I know a little bit about the Queen's Gamut and seeing it in the book as well. Yeah, so the Queen's Gambit, if your listeners aren't familiar, is the television show based on the book by with Anya Taylor Joy that came out. I think like right at the start of the pandemic, kind of, and is about uh, competitive chess playing in like the '60s and '70s, I believe. Um, and I had watched that with everybody else, and uh, it it only sort of ended up the the tiniest bit having an influence on the book in that I watched it and thought like, oh, this is I really like this idea of like a woman in this high stakes men's world of of competitive chess. Um, I really I've always wanted to be a good chess player and I never have been. So also I love books give you the, the ability to pretend to be good at something or into like to know a lot about something that I don't yeah. very much about but would like to know. Um, so it was just sort of the like, the, I don't know. It's, it started very much as like, this is one of my influences. Then I ended up sort of just like seasoning to taste Bucky Barnes with, with competitive chess play. I initially wanted there. So, so he meets he, his sort of initial, uh, what's the word? His initial mission in 1940s when he's young Bucky Barnes is 
uh, to he goes to this chess tournament in London where he's supposed to meet a contact and then ends up witnessing something terrible and having to go on the run with this teenage chess champion. Yeah. Um, and initially I had this like grand idea of like, oh, I'm going to write like spy codes that are in the chess games and I'm going to do all this like cool. And then I was like, no, nah, I'm not smart enough for this. We'll just oh have my it. God. Like, we'll <laughs> at a chess tournament and then they leave the chess stuff mostly behind. So yeah. I wanted it to be more of an influence than it was. It ended up, I was not smart enough to, to write chess codes for, for teenage chess champions. Yes, ma'am. Now I'll give a quick spoiler. Obviously we, he met the chess champion the whole time. He was actually imprisoned without even knowing it in the at the bottom of the red lion, excuse me. Tell us a little bit about what that was like writing for that part, holding the information of him actually being imprisoned by them, knowing it the whole time. Yeah. So the whole so the, the setup of the book to give a little more context, uh, there's two timelines. The one is in the 1950s. It's about the winter soldier, um, as he's working as like a as a uh, assassin for the Russian Department X. And then there's the 1940s timeline, which is about Bucky Barnes, who is growing up on this military base. The sort of the Bucky Barnes of the comics is very different from Bucky Barnes of the of the the movies. And he's not sort of the Steve Rogers is well-meaning best friend from Brooklyn. He's sort of this <laughs> army brat from Indiana, grew up on this base in Arlington after his parents died, is sort of uh, homeless. Yeah, not homeless, parentless. There we go. He's parentless and adrift and kind of a rebel and a punk. And so he gets recruited at the start of World War One, at the start of the book, uh, to be part of this program that they're, they're training young uh, American and British students to then go pose as exchange students in various German, Russian, Italian universities, and then sort of funnel information back that way. So Bucky gets recruited to this because of his proximity to, to the military and his connections and things. Um, and then, yeah, they go to, he goes to the chess tournament where he's supposed to sort of meet his contact and ends up instead going on the run with uh, this, this teenage girl. And then they end up going to this place called the Red Lion, which is a real pub in London that was like a, it was a drop site for, for spies. Um, I think during the Cold War more than World War World War Two, but it was like a is now a, a pretty well known place that that MI five would sort of have rendezvous, um, and yeah, they end up in the they end up in this basement. They're what they think they're doing is hanging out in a safe house there, and then what they're actually doing is they're essentially in in prison by the SOE, which is the Special Operations Executive at the time. Um, I mean, I always like I always like writing things that don't that appear one thing and then later on you sort of learn something in the narrative that makes you go oh my gosh that was actually that like that's for me as a reader that's the most exciting sort of moment when when things that have already happened are reframed by what's currently happening um and as a writer like it's a fun it's a fun sort of gambit to get to pull off like i feel very like oh very smart and, and sneaky it's like make your readers gasp which is great yes um, ma'am so it's always, I mean, the trick with stuff like that, though, is making sure you're not tipping your hand too much and you're not giving away too much in the moment. Of course, of course. Now for your last book, Nebula and Gamora, Sisters in Arms, focuses more on the anti-hero side of things. Just tell us a little bit about what goes into that and what was going through your mind writing about the anti-hero as opposed to everyone's fan favorite, the actual hero of the story. I mean, I like writing about anti-heroes better because I think that most people, if they were a character in a novel, would be an anti-hero. So they're just sort of this more, I feel like an anti-hero most of the time. Like I, if I were, if I were the lead character in a book, I would probably be labeled morally gray. And I would probably have people talking about like, oh, I didn't think she was going to be that like selfish and, and rude. And, you know, like we all do those things. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we wish we were awful good, but generally we're sort of chaotic neutral, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like writing about anti-heroes for that reason, because they're they're more relatable, I think, to most people. 
But also there's, when you write about characters like Steve Rogers say, the question is never, is he going to do the right thing? The question is, how is he going to do the right thing? Or like, what will he have to sacrifice to do the right thing? When you're writing about characters like Nebula and Gamora and Loki and even the Winter Soldier and, and sort of loose cannon teenage Bucky, you're never quite, you can't rely on them to do the right thing and to make the right choice. And sometimes mm -hmm. you know, that's going to hurt them. Sometimes it's going to hurt the people around them. And it just, I think, keeps things more, it, it keeps readers more on their toes. And it keeps, it's a, it's a different kind of suspense. And it's a suspense that I find more more exciting than the sort of like, eventually we're going to do the right thing. It's just about sort of killing time until we do that. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, if people are privy to your work, they know that you focus on fiction and nonfiction as well. Can you just tell us a little bit about which style is your favorite and which you prefer going to the most? Oh, I don't really have a preference or a favorite. It just depends on the project. And so much of it ends up overlapping. So like I have a nonfiction book called Bygone Badass Broads, which <laughs> short biographies of women in history who you probably don't know about, but definitely should. Um, and when I was researching that book, one of the one of the sort of stories I, I found and latched onto was about uh, female snipers in the Soviet Union during World War II. Mm -hmm. Volumes of all women snipers that were sort of like the terrors of the front and, and were, were really intense, precise, terrifying soldiers. Um, and I was so fascinated by them and so ultimately fascinated too by the question of like, it's, it's incredible on the battlefield. You read all these stories, you know, of, of the women on the battlefield, but nobody ever talks about like how you come back from a life like that. And like, what do you mm -hmm. do with yourself when the war is over? And how do you, how can you be sort of a person in society again after that, um, after going through something like that? And so they didn't end up in the book, um, but I was sort of, I thought about them for a long time and I thought about these women. Um, and so when I, when it came time to write Winter Soldier, uh, the Winter Soldier's handler in, in the sections in the 1950s is one of these snipers now like tried to come back from the war and failed at it. And so is now uh, working for, for Karpov and Department X. Um, mm -hmm. So all that to say like the fiction and nonfiction intersect all the time. And she's a, she's a fictional character based on, based on real people and based on this real sort of class of, of snipers from the USSR at the time. And to me, like, that's the fun of it is the places where these things where fantasy meets reality and, and vice versa. Of course, of course. Now, a huge question that I would like to know, can you just tell us a little bit about the start of you writing for Marvel and what that opportunity looked like, what you thought, everything like that, that went into it? Yeah, the, the, um, the start of it was really just right place, right time. Um, my edit, the editor who, uh, brought me onto the Marvel team. I've been pitching in Marvel a long time. For a long time, she'd wanted to hire write a series of young adult novels about sort of the anti-hero characters before we had seen, like kind of earlier in the timeline than we'd seen them in, in the comics or the films. Um, and in 2017, she finally got the sign off of like, okay, we're ready to do this. You can start hiring a writer. And she happened to be reading my book, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, right at that same time, which had just come out. And she was really enjoying it and thought, oh, I think this this writer would be a really, really good match for the project. So it was truly right place, right time. Um, and signing signing on, I sort of thought, you know, they're, they're going to send me a synopsis of here's what we want the book to be about. You can sort of pick the pick the name of the restaurant or whatever, like that. <laughs> my personal stamp on things. And instead, they were they were extremely collaborative and really made it clear from the start, like they were hiring me to write these books and they really wanted me to, to create them and create these stories. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to, I got to work with the the team at Marvel. I would sort of bring my ideas and say like, here, here, for example, with Nebula and Gamora, 
I brought them and I said, I want to do a space Western. And I hear my influences. I want to do Mad Max and Firefly and Blade Runner. Like these are the things I want to do. And I want to draw on these things that I really love. And also I want to talk about uh, capitalism and uh, eco-terrorism and strip mining and tyrannical religion. Like I basically just brought like a list of like here, kind of like a here are the vibes. Um, and then the the folks at Marvel who are all comic book encyclopedias came back and were like, okay, so if you're going to write about a tyrannical religion, have you read about the universal church of truth? And I said, oh no, I really haven't. They're like, here, let's send you a big stack of comic books that are all about the universal church of truth. Here's every time Gamora and Nebula interact with them in the previous what? It's, it's crazy. These people are like, it, there's, they're encyclopedias, but also there are literal encyclopedias where I could like email somebody and be like, can you tell me everything about the Stones? And they would send you a list of every time the Stones like appear in the comics. Oh and my God. It's pages about everything we know about. It's crazy. It's like a wild, a wild thing to have access. Whoa. Yeah. And so it was, it was great to sort of go back and forth and they would, I, I often would, because those these people know so much more than me about Marvel, I would often sort of bring them here's what I'm going for. And they would help me figure out how to make it like as marvelly as possible and to put in like dregs to pre-existing pieces of canon. Um, and then also they would like give me, they gave me ideas too. And so like with Nebula and Gamora, uh, I, it was somebody at Marvel, I can't remember who, from the first meeting when we were talking about like Space Western and Dune and everything. And um, somebody was like, we really like the Grand Master. And he like, you know, Goldblum made a big impression in the, the films. Um, would you consider finding a way to like, to put him into the, put him into the book? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. What if we did, what if we did this? And what if we did this? And so we started to brainstorm back and forth and they sent me a bunch of comics about Thanos. They were like, we really love this like, Thanos with like, the like, as only friends since childhood. Is that something you think you could incorporate? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And so it was really like, it was truly a dream collaboration project in terms of getting to create canon for Marvel, having like a tremendous amount of support for Marvel, but also them really letting me, like at the end of the day, they really let me do what I wanted to do, which was wild. It was so cool. And yeah. such, as, a, I, as a kid, I, I didn't want to be an author so much as I wanted to be an author of like, I wanted to write Star Wars books specifically. And Ooh. so, like, and if I, if I had, if the MCU had been around when I was a kid, I absolutely would have been into it and would have been all over the Marvel books. And so getting to like do this stuff and to work on these big, expansive, multi-format universes is is so cool and such a like specific realization of a dream for me. I am like just super jealous right now that you're receiving <laughs> paperwork back and forth from Marvel when that's been like my dream goal since I, I was mean, a child. I mean, I, I want to like be like, oh yeah, no big deal, but it really is like the coolest thing ever. I'm not like chill and cool enough to pretend. Not so when I when I saw you on Instagram and I said Marvel follows her, I was like, <laughs> I I think I need to just do a little bit more work so I can receive opportunities like this because that is just like one of the biggest accomplishments out there, <laughs> like as a Marvel fan to have Marvel know who who you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, with this being the third book of the series as well, too, the third and final book, what would you say is next for you, ma'am? I'm not sure right now what's next for me is kind of finishing like finishing this finishing the promotion for this um and then yeah i don't know sit back think about it there will i'll i'll never stop writing but i think i could i could use a little break right now i've been on pretty constant deadlines for a while and i'm ready to just take it for a little bit of course of course now as we get ready to close out this phenomenal episode is there any advice that you would give to the young authors out there looking to make their make their mark in the game uh read widely 
finish what you start and try your very best not to compare yourself and your journey to other people around you because everybody gets to the same place differently. Yes, ma'am. Well, with that being said, we greatly appreciate you having some time for this interview and we will let you know as soon as everything's done as well too. We'll send it to the, your team and everything like that. Once again, thank you very much for having some time for us, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. You have yourself a great day. You calling or you listening, tune in every week. Laugh, laugh. Oh, yeah, I'm going to laugh, laugh.